Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on select Fridays in May, each film touches upon artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, kicking off with Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro on May 10th at NortonSimon.org. You have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from Alleist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes, too, when you donate now at laist.com slash sweeps. Welcome to Air Talks TV Talk from LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Every Thursday, I'm joined on Air Talk by professional TV critics to review and discuss the newest cable TV, broadcast, and streaming series. With so much content available, we know it's hard to pick something to watch, and we're here to help. All right, let's meet this week's critics. And I'm very pleased to be joined by NPR TV critic Eric Deggins, who's actually in Southern California, not on the East Coast, because he's here for the Television Critics Association annual gathering. And Steve Green, regular TV critic as well, for us here on Air Talk. Uh, Eric, uh, just real quickly, uh, you've made the 3,000 or so mile trek here for the. <laughs> yeah. um, what happens at TCA for those not familiar with the uh, gathering? That is such an expansive question. I wish we had it all hour just to talk yeah. about that. You You've got one minute. (laughs) I got one minute. Yeah, so basically all the big TV platforms get together, and they uh, they each take a day generally, and they have a bunch of press conferences where they bring in the cast and the executive producers and the executives from these platforms to talk to journalists from around the country about what they have coming generally in the next six months. So we've had Apple TV Plus come in. We had AMC come in. We've had Hallmark come in. Today is Nat Geo, and we'll go through and we'll see, you know, NBC Comcast. We'll see a bunch of different great players. We had a set visit, uh, a couple set visits where we went to Not Dead Yet and uh, 911. We're going to visit Abbott Elementary uh, on Saturday. It it brings journalists in contact with the TV industry in a close way that if you're like me, I'm based in Florida, I don't get much of an opportunity yeah. to do that. It's a wonderful thing. I, I want to go to Abbott Elementary. Uh, uh, Steve, just quickly, your thoughts about uh, TCA, because you get sleep in your own bed, too. Uh, that, it, it's lovely. It's, it's right off the road from, from where I am. I, I, I appreciate it as a chance to s- sort of keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening. Uh, a lot of the, sh- the questions that people ask are show-specific, but I think that there's a lot of broader conversations about where the TV industry is going, uh, where particular networks are going, what streaming effects there are on on different networks and different shows. So I, I think it's it's useful on a macro and a micro level, too. You know, the coolest thing is that we critics get to talk to each other. You know, Steve and yeah, I were that. just talking before this and trading ideas about what we think is going on, and that helps a lot. I'm sure that's beneficial. We have some breaking news dealing with the film industry, Uh-oh. and that is the Oscars are adding an Academy Award for casting directors coming up in 2026. Casting directors, of course, with an extremely important role in the production of films. So starting um, with uh, the 2026 Oscars, there will be a, uh, a new category for casting directors. So uh, that uh, very, very big news. We'll talk about that on Film Week uh, tomorrow as well at 10 o'clock. So let's uh, talk about the Super Bowl, the biggest television show there is on CBS Network, streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Eric, uh, just your thoughts on, on 
the significance that this TV program has taken on. Okay, well, first off, two big caveats. I don't know much about sports, and I don't know that much about Taylor Swift. So, you know, bear that in mind with everything that I'm saying. <laughs> what about Usher? <laughs> exactly. Okay, I'll know a little bit more about Usher. But basically, um, this is poised to be the most watched episode of television in history. The second most watched episode of television in history was last year's Super Bowl. And we didn't have this whole Taylor Swift effect uh, where so many people who generally don't pay attention to sports have now sort of zoned in on the Super Bowl and they're wondering if she's coming from Japan, is she going to make it, how much are they going to show her? <laughs> and, and you know, one of the things that's masterful about the Super Bowl is that, um, you know, uh, people, advertisers and marketers figured out how to make the game attractive, the, the event of the game attractive to people who don't care about sports. Yeah. So sports fans show up for the game. Other people show up for the halftime show, which is Usher. They show up to see who's going to sing the national anthem, who's going to sing the Star Spangled Banner, who's going to, you know, really, you know, bring it. And then they show up for the commercials. And, and you know, what we're hearing now, we there's always been an increase in female viewers. So there's always been a sense that products for women have be, been more willing to step up. We're going to see more of that. That's not the Taylor Swift effect. I know everybody wants to think that. But, but that's this predates been, that. This, this predates that, although I think it's going to accelerate it. And, you know, uh, a, a little more um, conventionality in the advertising is what we're seeing. Uh, you know, people playing it a, a little more safe. Yeah. Uh, but in the same mix, we're going to see more female-oriented products. And I think we're going to see more of an emphasis on female female power and appealing to women in some of the ads that we're going to see in the Super Bowl. Interesting. We're talking about Super Bowl this Sunday, of course, uh, shortly after 3 o'clock on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. I have to think, as we were just talking with Joe Shaneman earlier about the game being in Vegas, that's only help promotion, it seems, because uh, it seems to me there's even more journalistic attention on it because so many people want to go to Vegas to cover the game as well. Let's talk about uh, the Apple TV Plus drama, The New Look, which explores the rise of designer Christian Dior, Ben Mendelsohn, and Juliette Binoche, star in the series created by Todd A. Kessler. Steve, tell us about The New Look. Um, well, this uh, follows not just uh, Christian Dior, but Coco Chanel. Uh, it, it's a look at how different icons from the world of fashion navigated uh, life under occupation in World War II. Um, for uh, for the Christian Dior side, it also follows his younger sister and her efforts in the French Resistance, um, and uh, and sort of follows from that time up through uh, a, a pivotal point in Christian Dior's career. Uh, sort of sort of looking at, at a, a, a narrow uh, lens of 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 what he was able to do. Yeah. All right, what did you think of it, Eric? Uh, I thought it was really time. interesting because it brings home two things. Number one, there were people behind these storied uh, fashion names like Chanel. And, and Dior and Balenciaga, and you see the real people and the choices that they made. The other question is, what do you do when you're faced with toxic authoritarianism, and how do you respond to it in a way that you and your family are kept safe, but you also don't lose yourself or do things that you uh, would feel ashamed of later? And that's the question that this 
Um, you know, these fashion designers are being asked to design clothes for the Nazis, and they all respond in different ways to that demand, and then they have to sort of account for what they for the decisions they made later. And and that's the question that uh, the, the question is interesting to me that this show uh, asks. And of course, they've got an amazing cast. Well, I was going to say, Juliette Binoche. Yeah. Want to watch anything she's in? Just and, and Ben principle. Mendelsohn. I'm a huge yeah, fan ben, of his. Ben's too. terrific. And, and John Malkovich. So all and, right, we're talking about the new look on Apple TV Plus, rated TVMA. The first three episodes of the ten will release next Wednesday on Valentine's Day. The new look on Apple TV Plus. A bloody lucky day is a South Korean thriller directed by Pil Gam Sung. Uh, Steve, tell us about this story of of a taxi driver who becomes entangled with a customer. Yes. Uh, so this one's quite a ride. Uh, as you mentioned, <laughs> uh, down on his luck, timid taxi driver uh, going through a rough patch in his life. He's got family troubles. He's got money troubles. But then he gets a lucky sign in a dream that lets him know that, you know, things are maybe going to uh, get better. So the next day, things start trending upward. He's starting to make amends. He's starting to reconnect with his family. But then he accepts that four-hour cab ride offer from a mysterious gentleman who it turns out may or may not be a serial killer. Uh, so if that all sounds like uh, a, a up and down emotional whiplash, it is, but I think that's part of the appeal of the show. Uh, usually when you have shows that move between tones like that, it doesn't always feel like part of the same show, but here I think it really does. Uh, and and so you you have a first episode that feels almost like a like a 2000s cell phone commercial uh, where everybody, <laughs> it's brightly lit, everybody's smiling, and then you do get that descent into madness at the end of the first episode and then throughout the rest of the season. We're talking about the Paramount Plus streaming a South Korean thriller, A Bloody Lucky Day. There are 10 episodes all of them are out and streaming now on Paramount+. Plus. Taylor Tomlinson, Have It All, the third Netflix original comedy special of Taylor Tomlinson's. It's directed by Christian Mercado. Eric? Yeah, Taylor is such an interesting figure. She's a stand-up comic who uh, just turned 30, and she just got the job hosting this After Midnight, the show that replaced James Corden uh, right after Colbert on CBS. And now she has this Netflix stand-up special. I mean, you couldn't have planned yeah. it any better. You know, <laughs> It's like she gets announced, at 30. she takes over the show, and now she's got this Netflix special. And she's someone who built her following on social media, videos on TikTok and on social media. And so, you know, she's she's got young people who know who she is. She is, and she's trying to funnel them into these more traditional outlets. This this is a really great stand-up special. I watched a lot of it in advance. Uh, she talks about anxiety. She talks about um, you know her her fractured relationship with her parents. She talks about dating. She actually went on a dating app, uh, you know, after having a Netflix special out, and she talks about that. So so um, it's a lot of relatable comedy, and it's sort of a pleasure to see a really talented comic kind of come into her own in this way. And I just hope, you know, she manages to keep it together and, and keep doing what she's doing, which is being really funny and really relatable and, and, and just, uh, you know, breaking boundaries. Well, and, I, and I understand After Midnight, the CBS show that she's doing weeknights, is a reboot of um, a late night a Comedy Central series. Chris yeah. Hardwick used to host. Yeah, it yeah. used to be called At it, That was called At Midnight, and that aired. Um, you, you had The Daily Show, and then I think you had Colbert, and then that would come on after that. And uh, Chris Hardwick hosted it, and it's like a fake game show where they bring on comics and they crack jokes about uh, online culture, internet culture, 
Uh, and and the, it really works when the comics can get loose and kind of improvise and everybody's having fun with each other and they realize this is not really a game show. And, if and you know, uh, it, the new version, After Midnight, was a little stiff when they started, but I think they're understanding now that the heart of the show and the fun of the show is letting these comics bounce off e each other and get really loose. And Taylor is a really great enabler of that. You know, sh even though she's very young, she's been a stand-up comic for a long time, and she has the respect. Of, of much more established comics and she knows uh, how to you know make things fun and and poke fun at people without being mean and it, and it's all you know creating this vibe where it's just a hang you know and I think they understand that more and more every week that they do it and the show gets better well Corden was able to establish that breakout you know meme friendly social media friendly carpool karaoke which even if there weren't huge numbers of people who watched his full show that got a lot of hits and 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 I, I wonder, is this new program, if either of you have had a chance to see many episodes, friendly in that way for, for adapting it to social media? Yeah, I, I think it goes back to what Eric was talking about, finding that balance between having things that feel overly scripted and, and overly joke-written versus having that, that sort of spontaneous improv feel to it. And so I think when you find that sweet spot... And, and you you have those moments that seem to come out of nowhere and seem to just a arrive in someone's comedic brain. Like, that's what I think translates to social media rather than the here's the overly worked uh, thing we workshopped for a day and then gave to somebody before. I, I always tell people when a show like this, a talk show like this debuts, you want to watch the beginning just to see where they're starting and then watch it six months from now because it's a long process. It took, uh, Conan O'Brien will admit, it took him three years to get that show to the point where it was consistently funny and they felt like they kind of knew what they were doing. Now, most shows don't get that long anymore, but you got to give them more than a month or two. And so, you know, I, I, I've, I've sort of checked in here and there because they put clips of the show up on YouTube, and I feel like they're making progress. And, you know, so I'm interested to see what it will look yeah. like in six months. Yeah, you are so right, and we are an instant gratification of viewership, but you are so right. It takes time to really find the rhythm. Of, there's a whole rhythm to it, and to find that is is you know not going to be there out of the gate. Taylor Tomlinson, Have It All, the Netflix stand-up special, her third for the streamer. It's rated TVMA, and and it premieres next Tuesday, February 13th. Coming up, we'll hear about another Netflix series, One Day, which is a British romance, and Welcome Home Franklin on Apple TV+, Plus, which is an animated TV special. We'll continue with our critics. Joining us are Steve Green and Eric Deggins, TV critic for NPR. We'll be back in just one minute. This is TV Talk from LAist 89.3. We'll be right back after this. Support for LAS comes from Will Gear Theatricum Botanicum, returning with a season of outdoor summer repertory theater on its scenic stage in the woods of Topanga, with picnicking in the gardens before the show. A Midsummer Night's Dream is back, along with The Winter's Tale, Wendy's Peter Pan, and Tartuffe Born Again set at a TV station in Baton Rouge. And for a contentious election year, Bernardo Cubrias, the Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Latin vote. Tickets at theatricum.com. 
Support for LAS comes from Latino Theater Company at the Los Angeles Theater Center, presenting the world premiere of Ghost Waltz by Oliver Mayer, a bold original recovery of Juventino Rosas, one of Mexico's most significant composers. Follow Rosas from his father's early death to his friendship with ragtime genius Scott Joplin, now on stage through June 2nd. Tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, and you're listening to Air Talks TV Talk, a weekly review of the newest cable TV, broadcast, television, and streaming series. Let's get back to reviews. Well, it's great to have Eric Deggins in studio with us because he's in town for the Television Critics Association in Pasadena, so we're taking advantage of, of that. And Steve Green joining us as well, who we get in studio every time because he's here in Southern California. We're talking about the best of television this week. Next up, the Netflix series from the U.K., One Day. It's a romantic drama, and it stars Leo Woodall and Ambika Mode. Nicole Taylor is the creator of this series. Steve, please tell us about it. So uh, some listeners might remember a film from 2011 called One Day, starring Anne Hathaway. Uh, this is drawn from the same source material, but it takes a, uh, a a different approach to that idea. So in in the film, two people have a chance meeting. They make a vow to spend that same day every year with each other, but not see each other for the rest of the 364 days of the year. Uh, the show, this show, takes that idea, but checks in with two people who have a chance meeting at the same day every year, even though they continue to see each other and they continue to spend time with each other. So it's a slightly different approach. Um, and I think this does, uh, and, and I think Eric might agree, that that we appreciate TV shows that take advantage of an episodic form, that it's not just a 10-hour movie. Yeah. And so in this show, each episode is a different year. So they meet in 1988, and then every episode after that follows them on July 15th, of whatever year comes after that, uh, so I, I think it's it's a it, it's a pretty savvy way of using the same hook, but but really making it work for a TV show. And it's only a decade long, so the aging up of the actors doesn't have to yeah. be extreme. Yeah, I, I think the season runs fourteen episodes in all, oh, but 14. but it, but it's it's yes, it, it is it is following over enough time to where you get a sense of how these people have changed, um, but not too much to where you're having to have the same people play themselves. 20, 30 years in the future. You've just given me a segment we should do on our TV talk in the segment. Which series have best utilized that episode format, sure, as, as you say? Uh, we're talking about One Day on Netflix, a romantic drama, all 14 episodes premiering today. Welcome Home Franklin on Apple TV+. Plus. You know Franklin, of course, from Peanuts, uh, the animated TV special created by Rob Armstrong and Scott Montgomery. Eric, please tell us about it. So this is the origin story for Franklin. <laughs> and what I uh, loved about this and about the idea of this, um, people may remember, we even did a story about it on NPR, that there was some discussion about Franklin uh, during the Peanuts Thanksgiving special where um, when, when they all get together for Thanksgiving dinner, all the Peanuts kids are on one side of the table and Franklin is on the other side of the table. And Franklin is the only black character. And so, you know, there was some concern about 
about what that visual was sending and the fact that Franklin is such a minor character and we don't find out much about him. And so this is is a is a an episode that's completely focused on telling you who Franklin is and how he came to meet the Peanuts gang and in particularly how how he came to befriend uh, Charlie Brown. And it turns out his dad was in the military, moved around a lot. Uh, and so he had to get good at making friends quickly. But when he tries to use all those techniques that his grandfather taught him to make friends, he finds it doesn't work so well in the Peanuts crew. <laughs> and so he's got a challenge where he's trying to he's trying to be friends with a bunch of people who seem kind of odd and he can't quite figure them out. And uh, and then, you know, he befriends Charlie Brown and they decide to embark on a project together. And it's challenged by the fact that Charlie Brown always seems to come last. So <laughs> so it's a really, you know, it's a way of centering the show on a black character. He's he's black in a way that's not sort of obvious and and stereotypical, uh, although his music tastes are kind of like a 50-something black guy. I mean, like he's in the well, John... Well, don't knock that. He's, in the, he's <laughs> in the John Coltrane. I mean, I'm a 50-something <laughs> black guy, and I'm just kind of like a little kid who likes John Coltrane. <laughs> I, okay, I'm not I'm not sure about that. But, but it was delightful. And, and so, um, you know, Franklin finally gets his due, uh, and as, uh, you know, a, a black man who grew up with Peanuts characters sort of wondering where I fit, or somebody like me would fit in that universe, it's a nice way for young kids. It's made for young kids. It's not made for adults. It's a nice way for young kids to see, oh, you know, I, I, there is a place for me there, and there is a story that reflects my my story, not just being a person of color, but also being a, a, a child of a military family where you move around a lot and then, uh, you know, wanting to stick in a place and have regular friends and the challenge of making new friends and a place where you stick out, all of that is stuff that, you know, uh, a lot of kids can relate to, I think. You're talking about this being a, a Franklin the character's origin story, just an interesting local tie to the actual origins. Uh, Charles Schultz uh, creating Franklin, our, our former editor here, uh, recently retired Paul Glickman. His mother, Harriet Glickman, is the one who contacted Charles Schultz and said, you really need to have a black character. It's really important. Wow. And and so Harriet started a correspondent with Schultz. He created Franklin as a result of that. And uh, I had the chance to know Harriet for many, many years. And it's it's a remarkable story, the actual urging that, him to do wonderful. this. And, you know, as people of color sometimes, particularly in the 60s and 70s, you would see a show that would add a black character or have a couple black characters but the show wasn't really invested in telling their stories. You didn't learn much about them except that they kind of were there. And so now it's been interesting to see these projects. If you watch the Star Trek series Strange New Worlds, one of the things that's so interesting about it is it tells Yahura's story. And we get her backstory and we find out where she came from and what her family was like. And, you know, she almost didn't stay in Starfleet, you know. And and, and so now we're getting that with Franklin where and and it's it makes all, all kinds of sense. If you want to reintroduce these storied brands to younger people, you really have to reflect the world that they're living in. And the world that they're living in is much more multicultural and people of color have agency and their stories get told too and so it's great to sort of go back to these old brands and say hey let's pick out this character that we don't know much about let's tell you a little bit more about him and talk about why he's so special yeah and as you and i have oh go ahead i'm sorry oh, no, I was just Steve, say, yeah like, like the apple i feel like the apple 
Peanuts uh, series have done a really good job of doing this with a lot of different characters. Uh, you know, I feel like we're in an age where streaming services are using different TV properties as sort of commodifying nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and in in the the Peanuts shows that I've watched on Apple, you don't get that feeling. I think there's a genuine heart and a genuine appreciation for what people like about this. I want Pigpen story. Well, well, that, that, that's probably that might be. I would, next. I'd be surprised. <laughs> Pigpen does make an appearance here. That oh, is good, pretty good. Yeah, I love. Hey, gentlemen, thank you so much. Really appreciate uh, you coming in and talking with us about the best of TV. And Eric, next time we'll talk with you from 3,000 miles away. But Who knows? Got, I might sneak back into yeah, town. You got you an open know. invitation. <laughs> Eric Deggins, thank NPR you. TV critic, and Steve Green, TV critic here in Southern California. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Air Talks TV Talk from LAist 89.3. If you like what you heard, please subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. The LAist Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAist.com sweeps.